0: Thanks to the worship team, too. I was like, um, you know, I feel like every Sunday I'm transported to somewhere different. Um, I was thinking about um, just this being Pentecost Sunday and what that means. And for us as missionaries, it's like, well, we've moved a lot. Um, In fact, um, Penny, you might be shocked to think about this, but I was counting in my head last night. It's like we've in the past 20 years, of course, I moved a lot before we got married, but um, I've had... I've had 15 different mailing addresses in the past 20 years. Um, the good news about that is um, my alumni associations can't find me anymore to ask me for money. And <laughs> <laughs> my bills bills for strange things show up in San Antonio, and for <laughs> Penny's parents is like, oh, we, got, we get a box of mail every time we show up to visit her parents. Um, and that's part of, just part of the life of moving. And, you know, we live in a time where people are on the move, that, you know, we don't put down roots and keep roots in our communities like we did in the past. In fact, I'm just curious, in the past 20 years, how many of you have moved? Okay, so there you go. So, we are people on the move, and our our world is a world on the move. And and this is not a new thing. You know, we see movement goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, and what happened at the Tower of Babel of um, people coming together to build this great city to make a name for themselves. And so what does God do? God remembering that he had put it in the purpose of man to fill the earth and to to rule it, to be stewards of the earth. He stirred confusion in the language so that they would fulfill this covenant he had with his creation to fill the earth, to multiply. As long as we're all in one place, we're not doing what God created us to do. And so he divided the languages, he confused the languages. And then what we have later when Jesus comes, he promises the gift of his Holy Spirit. And this is Pentecost Sunday, and so what, is, what are we celebrating if not the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? And by the way, you know, I know this is a Baptist church, and so you, you, may, you may notice there's some wet spots in, in the um, sanctuary. Um, that's, we've tested the fire suppression system to make sure if any little points of flame show, show up. that you know, Nothing's going to get out of control here this morning. We're ready. We're ready. No, I'm joking. Um, what would we do? What would we do <laughs> if the Holy Spirit broke out in here? Um, well, the reality is Jesus told us that we as his people, we will worship in spirit and in truth. And so when we come together in his name, we have the Holy Spirit binding us together, but also bringing the Lord's presence. And so it's a beautiful thing. So this morning, it's, it's kind of cool just thinking, as someone who's moved around a lot, Every song just reminds me of a different place. So this morning I've been with brothers and sisters in Baku, Azerbaijan. And I've been with, um, hey, the clapping song, y'all. It's funny how the, the, the old songs will get people clapping. The new stuff, uh, we got to warm up to it and learn the clap rhythm. But the old stuff, man, I was back in my hometown church at First Baptist Church Loeb, you know. And then um, just just thinking. Uh, and then, then one song, is like, okay, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, just reminds me of the places where we have brothers and sisters of Christ all over the world. And, and how... Songs can just remind us of places and times in our life. So think about what's happened in the past 20 years. A lot has changed. Our world has changed. And um, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here in a few minutes of how God began some of this change with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because we're not going to look at the day of Pentecost. And what happened on Pentecost? Well, what was Jesus' promise? He told that group of 120 people that were gathered in a secret place and praying you know, stay here, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, uh, and he's going to give you the power to be what? Witnesses. And so we're talking about this idea of witnesses that were threaded throughout the Gospel of John. We continue seeing this idea of witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Today, we're seeing that spread of the gospel like in no other generation. And there are some things that are happening. It's the movement of people from place to place, but it's also technological advances. Um, I was a late adopter to one of these things. Um, I didn't want it in my pocket, um, and, but now we can't live without it, right? Well, now there's like 8 billion people in the world that can't live without one of these things and having access to the gospel, but also having access to people. And so... Um, it's an exciting time to be living. It's an exciting time to see the gospel advancing. This morning I want to look at um, Acts chapter 17, and what we see in Acts 17 is, is what's happening with the gospel spread 20 years after Pentecost. So this cool thing, you want to test a movement, see what's See what's happening a generation later. 20 years representing the span of a generation. Here we are, a generation after the resurrection. And the gospel is continuing to spread, it's continuing to advance. And so, um, Paul and um, Barnabas start out in what's present day Turkey. And um, they started churches as they went. And then they went, came back to their ascending church in Antioch and, uh, for a time. And then they felt compelled we need to go back out. And check on these churches that we've started. See how our brothers and sisters in Christ are doing. And um, as they're planning their course and what they're going to do, there's a little disagreement between them. Well, disagreement meant they parted ways, but it also meant they got to double the territory they could cover together. And Paul invites Silas to come along. So we have Silas coming with Paul on the second journey. And what Paul's doing as he goes out to visit the churches, he's finding himself blocked. Even the Acts says that the spirit of Jesus prohibited him from being able to go into the northern part of Turkey. And so what does he do? Well, they go and they find a place to kind of regroup. And they're in Troas, and they get this this vision of a man from Macedonia, present-day Greece. Macedonian man come into them and say, come and help us. And so they cross over the Aegean Sea into Greece. And they start out in Philippi, and we see a church start with a woman of prayer and a guy that was Paul and Silas's guard while they're in prison, him and his family, we see the nucleus of a church. They start this church in Philippi, they move on to Thessalonica, and um, there's fruit there, but they weren't there very long before trouble starts. So they've got to leave Thessalonica, the Jews run them out of Thessalonica, and they go on to Berea. And what do the Bereans do? They search the scriptures. Remember last week it was interesting because we had the Pharisees you know, Jesus confronts them. You pour over the scriptures, but you don't see me. These scriptures testify me to me and who I am and that the Father sent me. Well, what do the Bereans do? They search the scriptures as Paul invites them to do. And they see everything that's there, that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the one God sent into the world to redeem the world for himself. But again, here come these troublemakers from Thessalonica to stir up the community so that Paul's life is at risk again. And so that's where we start. Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 13. But then the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea, and they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. It's interesting to think the Jews, the people of God's word, Hearing that God's word is proclaimed, go to stir up and agitate. Do we do that sometimes? I hope not. And yet when we hear of kind of things that are strange or different, we, you know, we're kind of prone to discount them. And yet, you know, God can work in the strangest of ways. You know, I mean, there are stories right now of people reading the Quran and finding Jesus. Does that shock you? Would you be troubled by that? Because I I will agree with you, it is not a holy book. And yet Jesus is talked about prominently in the the Quran. And yet as somebody that really, like the Bereans, searching their scriptures, well, the Muslim will read the scriptures and say, there's something not right here. And it compels them to search another book, this book. But um, what do people do when they hear the Word of God preached? Do they get excited, and do they follow? Or do they reject it and and stir people up against it? That's what Paul is dealing with here um, as he moves from place to place. They're following him. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens... And after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. So these guys got to get Paul out. And you think about sometimes, some people can just be a lightning rod. And um, sometimes that's, that's what missionaries do. Um, we can go in and serve a place for a time. And then our very presence can cause a threat to the new community of believers there. And so you realizing so many of our, our mission workers overseas are itinerant. They can really only stay there a short time because their presence as foreigners can draw attention. That's, that's hard. And yet realizing that as God calls people to himself, we know, we know that there was a strong church there in Berea. We know that there was a strong church in Thessalonica because we've got two letters from Paul writing to these churches. So Paul goes to Athens. So um, looking at this... Um, so they escort Paul to Athens. Was there a question there, or do I need to keep going? <laughs> there we go. Um, what Paul's being chased and harassed. What do you know about Christians who are being persecuted for sharing the gospel? What do we know? Where do you turn to for that information? You know, sometimes social media is nice. Sometimes it's just a friend sharing. Pray for the church in this place, because this is happening. Some, some organizations actually... Um, dedicate themselves to sharing prayers about the persecuted church, like Voices of the, the, of the Martyrs or Open Doors. That You can actually be praying for the church that's persecuted in, in places that are unreached by the gospel. And we served for two years in Azerbaijan, and um, Azerbaijanis are considered an unreached people group. By the way, along with um, this being Pentecost Sunday, it's also recognized as the International Day of Prayer for unreached peoples. And what is an unreached people um, well, Joshua Project would tell you an unreached people group is an is a, is a ethno-linguistic group, so people that share an ethnic identity and a language. So that's an ethno-linguistic group. So if you look at that community of people, and Azerbaijanis being about 40 million people, um, less than 2% of them are followers of Jesus. That's an unreached people group. And there are thousands of unreached people groups left in our world. And yet God is doing something in our day to change that dynamic. I just really look forward to sharing with you. So I want to share this story, though, about a brother who's uh, faced persecution. Um, we knew him from Baku International Fellowship. Uh, his name was Aslam. And I won't say the country he was from, but this is a country that just has a terrible reputation for uh, persecuting Christians. For its, you, If you have a family member that comes to Christ, um, it brings shame on your family because they're rejecting Islam. And so how do you restore shame? How do you restore honor when you've dealt with family shame? Well, you remove that source of shame, and so they have a concept in their culture called an honor killing. You can kill that family member, and it restores honor to your family. And this is the context that Aslam comes from. And so he's in, of all places, Baku, Azerbaijan, a Muslim-majority country, as a refugee, fleeing persecution from Islam. And um, this, this picture was taken our last Sunday. And I'm going to tell you, this has been one of the hardest days of my life uh, because we had to leave very abruptly. Um, our company could just no longer keep our visa platform. It was very expensive to keep business visas there. And, um, and, of course, we're doing mission work, and we got to run a company to have a legitimate presence in this co- country. But um, our, our visa was being pulled very abruptly, and so this was our last Sunday at Baku International Fellowship. And, um, but um, Aslam had come to me because, you know, this brother's here as a refugee, and we'd had some conversations. This was potentially his last Sunday as well. Uh, but he's not going to the return to the safety of the United States, and he's not returning to see family. He has the threat of deportation back to his home country where almost certainly He's going to face physical violence. His teenage daughters are probably going to be forcibly removed from him and married to some Muslim that's going to constrain them to walk in the way of Islam. And um, it was just such a terrible situation. as like, so these are two very sad brothers in this picture. And all we could do for each other is just pray for each other and encourage one another. Well, the good news is people were praying for Aslam, and um, even though his own country was like, you know, why, you know, we're going to pull you back, and he's trying to make appeals to the government of Azerbaijan, and it's like, you know, this is, what, this is what believers from his country would hear from the Azerbaijani government. They're like, we're a Muslim nation. You're a Christian. Why would we protect you? That's a good question. Why would they protect him? And yet... Where he was at in Azerbaijan was safer than where, where they're threatened to send him back to. I'm glad to tell you he's still there three years later. And this brother struggled. You know, as a refugee, they can't get employment. They're prohibited from employment. They don't have an employment visa like I did. They don't have the privilege of a passport to even obtain that. So what he does to take care of his family is um, he would buy perfume at the big bazaar. And um, he'd pay uh, one manat, which is about, what, 70 cents, 60 cents, for a bottle of perfume, and he would go and he'd sell it for four out on the street. And so, hey, you know, the retail, um, that's pretty good for a former communist country to, you know, have this opportunity of capitalism, (laughs) um, black market for perfume. But that's how he was taking care of his family, is just selling perfume on the street. But not only that, God has used him to help other refugee families, and to help them to to settle because when these people come with nothing, and then they don't have the resources to to live in that economy unless they're they're industrious and they're determined like Aslam. And it's like I thank God for this brother and the example, and for for our American friends that have been able to to be around him and help his family. And now he's a helper to them. So that's a pretty remarkable story. It's 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 incredible, and. Our last Sunday at Baku International Fellowship, as as we're crying and we're saying goodbye to our friends, they're in front of us because we were in the back row. We just we couldn't even walk in into, into the, the um, meeting room where we were gathering for worship. It's like we're on the back row near the door. And we're singing and we look in front of us, a group of people from Oslam's country. They're just they're lifting hands and they're worshiping, and it's like these people are worshiping with a freedom that we just take for granted. Every one of them with a the threat of deportation. And how humbling that was for me and Penny to be there to realize we're returning to safety and to family if they return to certain violence. And so it was so, just so beautiful to watch that group of people from that country. If there was a prayer event, they, that, those people were there praying. I, I mean, it was so humbling. And so, think, what do we do with people who are persecuted for the faith? Certainly Paul was. What can we do to help? I'll tell you, I just felt powerless to help. All we really could do was pray. But I tell you what, it is so gratifying to see the fruit of prayer, to know that Aslam's still there. Still struggling, but still there. So let's go on. So Paul gets to another place of relative safety. Relative safety, right? Um... It's not his hometown. He's in Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for Silas and, and Timothy, so he, while he's waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. Ever been in a dark place and just realized, hmm, there's, there's a darkness here I can't explain? And it's like, you know, for us it wasn't Azerbaijan, it was the neighboring country that was an Orthodox country. Um, that was strange But for us, but that's where we felt the darkness. You know, you know somebody, you don't have to know the language to know when somebody's cursing you, right? I mean, when somebody like, <clears throat> you know, um, when you walk by, I was like, what did I do? <laughs> that's strange, and I know that's not good. Um, Paul is distressed. So here he is in his city of refuge, and he's distressed because of the spiritual darkness is there. So where does he go? He goes to a place where he knows that, that there are like-minded people. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him, and some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Okay, we've wondered that. Um, you hear people talking and new teaching, and it's like, okay, are they showing off, are they stupid, are they crazy? You know, what's the deal? You know, they're asking. Others replied... He seems to be a preacher of foreign deities. Huh? Well, you know, they're polytheists. Hey, a foreign deity might be good. We can just add them to the shelf, right? That's not a bad thing. Because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And I think that's so important. When we realize when we are communicating the gospel, how important the resurrection is. That's where the power of God is. That is the demonstrated power of God, life over death. New life over death is proclaiming the resurrection. Not just Jesus as a great philosopher teacher, but the Son of God raised from the dead. And so they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Always an itch, always a desire to hear something new. But it's interesting, you have Athenians, people born and raised there, and you have foreigners. Foreigners aren't native to this place, right? And foreigners, sometimes they come and settle, and sometimes foreigners come and they move on through. And so what a great opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Because just like at Pentecost, you have foreigners there. They were Jews, but they were from all nations. So you almost kind of have a second Pentecost here of people having the opportunity to hear the good news. And what is the good news that Paul gives them? Well, Paul, um, he stood before them in the middle of the Areopagus, and he says, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, and I even found an altar on which it is inscribed to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. So what do you think about Paul's Paul's, um, starting out of presenting the gospel? It's interesting. He goes into synagogues. What does he start with? He starts with God's words. He starts with the Torah. He starts with the Old Testament. Here, these people don't have any clue what's in this book. They don't have any access to it. He appeals to some common ground. I mean, would we feel comfortable saying, hey, um, to a Muslim, you know, it's like, you know, I see to you that you honor Isa Masi. You honor Jesus Christ. You revere him as one of your great prophets. Hey, let me tell you the truth about your great prophet. Does that feel uncomfortable to us? It's good to know. So Paul knew his context. He knew where he was at. And he knew he couldn't start with the scriptures. He starts with, he starts with their pagan worship of all things. And he affirms this unknown God. Proclaiming, I am going to tell you something you don't know about this unknown God. The God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not very far from each of us. For in him... We live and move and have our being, even as some of your own prophets have said, for we are his own offspring. So looking at this, so every nationality comes from one man, right? We have that revealed in Scripture. And God's appointed the time that people live, the boundaries of the nations that they live. So so think about this. What does this mean to us today in our context? What does this mean for you and your place in the community? Your home, who your neighbors are, your workplace, who's in the cubicle next door, the office next door, or, you know, who, you get, who you're on conference calls with? And what does this mean for us as a church and where we're situated in our community? He's appointed our place, right? We can we move to the next slide? So, I'm going to share a st- statistic with you that I learned this uh, past month. Um, so, in Arlington, there was a Muslim Background Believer Conference uh, a few weeks ago. And um, former Southern Baptist um, IMB strategist uh, David Garrison, he works with a ministry called Global Gates now. David Garrison shared this statistic that right now, Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex is the largest recipient of new refugees of any other metropolitan area in the United States. What do you think? Is that an opportunity or is that a threat? Maybe it's both because we know our culture is constantly changing. We know new people coming in. It's a challenge for sure. Maybe that's the better word. It's both opportunity and threat. It's a challenge. How about this? 44% of all new residents in North Texas are foreign-born. We love this church and the ESL ministry and the World Guard and the things that happen, the heart for the nations that the people in this church have. How about this? That um, Think about unreached people groups, Iranians. Did you know that the largest community of Iranians in um, Texas are right here in Plano? That's pretty cool. So I'm going to talk about an unreached people group. And by the way, the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. Something can happen with these little things right here that when people come to the United States, they stay in touch. So you've got WhatsApp, you've got Telegram, you've got Signal and Wire and all these different messaging apps that people probably never heard of, but they stay in touch. So imagine somebody hearing the gospel here in the U.S., and they're calling home every week, and they're video chatting with their families, and we're not talking about small groups. We're talking about, you know, big families. They're, they're keeping in touch with their friends, their families. They keep connected. Is there an opportunity there? Something else Garrison shared, that right now in North America, 90% of all unreached people groups are here. They're here in the United States. So in the past where we had to send somebody overseas as a missionary, by the way, we still do. That still needs to be happening. But those people are here. It's an opportunity. What a beautiful thing we have. You know, even in our own church. You know, we had the Rwandan uh, congregation share with us like in, like just a few weeks ago. And how so many of the Rwandans ended up here, it was, they, they, they weren't pulled by the opportunity of the United States and greater, you know, this you know, you know, idea of prosperity. They had something horrific happening back home. It pushed them. They were pushed. And that's the thing with migration. You've got, you've got pull factors that, you know, many people do move for opportunity. I think only once have we had to leave somewhere because we were forced out. Uh, it's like every time our families moved, it was, we, you know, we were going, we were being pulled to an opportunity. And people certainly come here for, an, for opportunity. Um, may, maybe we should show grace to our friends from California who are being pulled by the opportunity of our, uh, you know, much cheaper housing market. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, Laughter. But you see what I'm saying? It's like migration is complex, and it, it certainly it brings problems with it. But as followers of Jesus, who are led by the Holy Spirit and know His Word, we can see the opportunity. And so, you know, through this church, we've had people from Iran, and we've had people from Russia and from Korea. We've had people. Um, we've had people in this church. I, I think in Penny's class alone, um, when we were meeting on site, she, we counted 12 different nationalities. In one class, China, India. Think about where the, 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 the largest populations of people are who are locked away closed board, from behind closed borders, and they don't have access to the gospel. They're here, even our own, in our own building. You know, it was cool meeting this guy Muhammad out in our hallway after ESL class one night, and I was like, you know, his English wasn't good, and I don't speak Farsi but, but even just the effort of trying to communicate, showing that we are people of peace and that we invite people to know the peace we have. It's a beautiful thing we do. And yet there's more because who are your neighbors? Who lives next door? That's, you know, for me the strategy, is the, the wheels turn, you know, uh, looking for, you know, who, who are our neighbors. Who's in the mosque up here at Custer and Plano Parkway? It's a Shia mosque, so guess what? Shia, um, Iraq, Iran, you know, um, they're here in our community. So Paul, he gives this unusual, you know, he gives this unusual presentation of the gospel. Have you heard this, the gospel presented this way anywhere else in Scripture? An unknown God that you worship, I'm going to proclaim to you. And, and the thought of, hey, Brothers and sisters, God has placed you here in Athens so that you might hear, that you might seek Him. Why not in Jerusalem? Why would God place somebody in Athens to hear the gospel? Because He knew who He was sending, and He knew the church that He would place in that community as well. And so, from one man, He has made every nationality to live in the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for the people that live in our community, right? Um, it's an opportunity to hear the gospel. So that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. we got to demonstrate this, you guys. Our life and our movement, are being, being so tied to Christ and who he is that people see good news in us. And then we've got to have the boldness to just meet people and ask questions. Boy, what an, a door opener just to ask somebody about their, their home culture and where they live and where they come from. And what do you think of Plano? You know, you don't have to get weird with questions. Even just asking them, what do you think of living here? You know, um, I mean, there's all sorts of ways. So, we become known as people that have our life and our movement and being in Christ. How is that reflected to our community? You know, what what do people see in us? Since we are, okay, so since we are God's offspring, then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or an image fashioned by human art or imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the time of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn to him. So seek him. God has placed people in a place where he can be found. That seems strange to me that God would put somebody in Iran, of all places, to hear the gospel. And yet, if the Holy Spirit's moving in a way in Iran, that he's not moving here in North America, maybe their odds of hearing the gospel is actually better there. Is that not a strange thought? We've got to remember to pray for our brothers and sisters there, by the way. But they're here, Iranians even in our own community. He's called them to repentance. Because he set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man that he's appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And man, he gives us new life too. And that's what we invite people into. To know this Jesus that God sent. Who taught us a way to live. He modeled it for us. And you look at what he did with his disciples. He modeled it. He taught him how to do things. He gave them assignments. Start doing the things that you see me doing. And boy, what a crazy thing that Jesus would even tell his disciples. That when the Holy Spirit came. That the things that that they see Jesus doing. That they saw Jesus doing. That they would do greater things than he. That's... That's hard to believe. And yet, we we can read the book of Acts and see how God moved to call people to Himself. Call people to Himself. And to use us as witnesses. Have we not experienced the resurrection of Jesus? Have we not experienced the indwelling of His Holy Spirit so that when we read His Word, it's not confusion to us? It's, it's not mixed up language, but it is new life into us, that his very word gives us life and hope. We can understand it because we have his spirit to guide us. And of course, we have each other. We have the community of believers. We don't do these things alone. God gives us each other, and he's given us this place. He's given us, he's appointed this time for us to be here. And you know what? I, I thank God for our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, and I thank God for our Rwandan brothers and sisters. I thank God that for the small group of people that we have from other nations in our congregation that can actually help us in this, that it's not just that something we do on, uh, on our own as a majority culture. It's something that God can do through us together because, I mean, what else besides the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, could bring people from different cultures together and share one thing, our hope in Jesus Christ. And that we do this together, that in him we have our life and our movement and our being. We do this together. That's my prayer for our church. And as we continue to go through the Gospel of John, um, Pastor Randall leading us through this, and this continued theme of, of God the Father calling people to himself and this continued theme of, of the witness, the witness we have together. I just, I have high expectation that God's doing something really amazing. Maybe we look around and we feel discouraged that we don't see the numbers of people returning to church. Well, all churches are dealing with this. We're living in a different day, maybe. Are we ready for the opportunity? Not seeing it as a threat, but an o- as an opportunity. Are we ready for that? Okay, y'all, I'm not. <laughs> okay, so don't feel bad. I, 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 don't, I don't know what that means, but I know that God's put us, he's appointed a time for us to be here. We can do this together. So that's our prayer, my prayer for us as a church. Father, help us. Lord, we just acknowledge that the nations are here. And we acknowledge that you've appointed a time for us to be here in this community, in this time, in this place. Lord, also that people are coming, and and, and regardless of our nation's uh, migration policy, and regardless of our political thoughts on migration, Lord, that um, people are here, and they need Jesus. So help us, Lord. Help us to be people who are seen as followers of Jesus and as witnesses of your resurrection. Help us to be good witnesses. Help us to show love and compassion. And Lord, help us to do this together. Let's just pray this, in Jesus' name, amen.